like to welcome you to the service this morning, especially if you're a visitor with us. We're so glad that you're here and invite you to be back and worship with us at every opportunity that you have. It looks like we're having a few technical difficulties this morning. I don't know why the screen came up earlier or why the microphone's cutting out, but hopefully we'll get past that and this will all work like it's supposed to. So thank you again for being here. I wanted to show you this picture this morning and see what you thought about that. And we've got our title of our sermon this morning, A Wise Man in a Field of Thorns. You know, if we were, imagine walking across this field of thorns, and there's no wisdom in that, is there? There's no way to be wise or smart about doing that. That's just something very foolish, but we wouldn't consider being wise at all. That's not even in the same ballpark as wise, is it? So we want to study about a man this morning named King Solomon. He is one of the wisest men that's ever lived, but he is in a situation very similar to this picture that we're looking at this morning. He is surrounded by thorns. He's surrounded by things that are hindering his walk with God. He's put himself in a bad situation, and we want to see how he got there and kind of what's going on in this story this morning as we talk about that. There's a lot of things in this life that can hinder our relationship and our walk with God, and that's where Solomon is today. He's in a, a sticky situation, I guess you could say. Imagine yourself walking across this field, or imagine yourself, our kids, playing outside out back, and maybe some other things we can think of, maybe a minefield, you know, landmines that are around. You might have seen some old war movies where uh, people are walking, trying to be careful where they step to not step on one of these old landmines. Or maybe bear traps. You've seen one of those big bear traps that's got the huge teeth on it that the bear steps in and it, it uh, grabs his leg or a snare. You might think about the rope that you step in and it yanks you up the tree and you're upside down stuck there. A snare in our way. So that's some of the things that we want to get in our mind this morning. We wouldn't want to put ourselves in that situation walking across there. Of course not. There's nothing. We, would you put yourself in that situation? Of course we wouldn't. But the Bible talks about thorns and snares, and it talks about that to the children of Israel. God gives a, a message to the children of Israel as he brought them out of Egyptian bondage, and they went into the, the land of Canaan. They're finally going in and conquering the land. And he tells them some certain specific things that he wants them to do and to participate in. And in the book of Judges here we read that it says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I have made you to go up out of Egypt. I have brought you into land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. Look at the words that he gives them in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verse number 6. And thou shalt consume all the people with the Lord, uh, which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. So this picture that we see this morning of thorns and snares, we see that there was a problem with the children of Israel when they first entered into the land of Canaan. If you read in the last few verses of Judges chapter 1, we read about the different uh, tribes of Israel. We read about Manasseh and how that they didn't enter into and drive out the inhabitants of this city and the Canaanites dwelt among them. You read the same thing about tribe after tribe. They did not drive out the inhabitants of the land and they dwelt among them and they were a thorn and they were a snare to their side because they didn't follow after the commandment of God. 
that he told them and to go about it the way that he wanted them to do it. This is not what God commanded them to do. He said, you drive the people out. You utterly destroy them. You don't have pity on them because they're going to be a thorn and a snare in your side. And they didn't do it. They didn't follow after that commandment. And the book of Judges records that as a failure of God's people. They failed to drive the people out of the land. They let, this led to the downfall of the people at that time. And the same thing is carrying on in the time of Solomon. Because they're not driving the people out of the land. And continuing to follow after that commandment of God that's still in, in place. God gives a warning to Solomon. He gives a warning against sin. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 4 through 9. And if thou wilt walk before me as thy father David walked in the integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever as I promised to David thy father, saying, thou shall not fail, uh, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at the house which is high, everyone that passes by it will be, shall be astonished and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto the land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. This warning is given to Solomon. You know, the, the temple has just been dedicated. There's things that are going on we're going to discuss in just a minute. And uh, he's not following after the commands of God. Or if when we follow the commands of God, things are going right, things are going well in our life, then it won't be a thorn and it won't be a snare in our life. You can't just go about and do anything you please, anything you want. See the message that he gives him. You walk before me with integrity of heart, with uprightness, following after my statutes and following after my judgments. Do these things. He's given us specific instructions, what he wants us to do, how he wants us to live. And then we can avoid putting ourselves in that situation that we don't want to be in. Things go wrong when we're not following after God's commands. The kingdom is beginning to slip out of Solomon's hand. The kingdom is soon going to be taken from him and given to one of his servants because he's not following after God's commands. He's not guarding his heart. When we willfully choose to disobey God, and then we wonder why things aren't working out, why things are not going right in my life, why there's pressures, why there's distresses, why I'm not successful, why I don't feel close to God when I'm not following after His commands. Why would I wonder that when His Word tells me that? If I'm not following after Him, why am I going to feel close to Him? I'm not. I shouldn't. I'm just, uh, I'm just deceiving myself if I do. We wonder why we don't feel close to him. Wisdom requires guarding our steps. He's told us how he wants us to walk before him and the steps that we need to take. We read this story of Solomon and we wonder how a man so wise that's been blessed by God and given this wisdom can find himself in that situation. We see this, this example. We see the things that he's gone through in our life and we put ourselves in that situation. <laughs> We do the same thing over and over in our life, don't we? Surround
things we don't want to step in or step on, step into, get involved in. But it happens time and again because we're not carefully guarding our heart like God has called and asked us to do. Many times we leave our first love, the Lord, leave him aside and follow after strange things, things that we're not commanded to. So how did Solomon find himself in this sticky situation that we've talked about this morning? There's a lot of things that have led up to that. I want to discuss just a few this morning. But how did he find himself here? You know, in 1 Kings chapter 8, they've just had the dedication of the temple. Man, things are going good here in Jerusalem. They've just finished the temple of the Lord. And Solomon has, has made this beautiful prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8. And he's talked to, to God about uh, hearing their prayers when uh, the people will sin against you, but they turn their heart back to the, toward the temple and they say a prayer to you and repent and turn from their ways. Father, hear their prayer and forgive them. Have mercy on them. When it hasn't rained in the land for several years, for several days, whatever, and because we've sinned against you, and Lord, we turn our hearts back to you, we repent and we change our ways, repent of our sin, hear our prayer. Solomon has just prayed this prayer. And at the end of that chapter, in verse chapter 8, there's been great sacrifices. There's been so many sacrifices that they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and all these things. And man, things are looking good in Jerusalem. And the people go home happy and full of joy back to their homes after the celebration of the temple being dedicated. And then, as we just read on that last slide, as God has warned him, hey, yeah, things are going good, but you better follow after my statutes and judgments. If you do, things will be good. I'm going to give you your family, your, your sons, your grandsons. They'll all be kings and heirs in the kingdom forever if you'll do this. But if not, I'll cut you off. You'll be cut off from the land. The warning is very notable. It's very accountable that we see in this chapter. I think this is the pinnacle of, of uh, Solomon's kingdom here at the end of chapter 8. No, things are so, going so good. Solomon was focused on the building of the temple, but we're fixing to read in the next few verses after what we just read earlier about the warning, how that things are starting to change. You know, things aren't going so well now. Things are changing just a little bit. There's been a shift. There's been a change in that. Solomon was so focused on the building of the temple, but now we see that focus slowly going towards something else or different things, several different things that we'll mention this morning. His heart is becoming divided between God and other things. <clears throat> you know, sometimes there are seemingly insignificant compromises. We think it's not a big deal. It's not a big thing. You know, one of the things we read in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 3, if you'll look at that verse, the Bible says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, except, except, there's an exception here, he sacrificed and burnt incense on high places. You know, he loved the Lord. He walked after the statues of his father David. Hey, he's doing fine. There's nothing to worry about, right? He said, except. The Lord's not fully happy with the way he's doing things. Why? Because he didn't destroy the high places. That's what happened as you read through the book of Kings and you read through who's a good king and who's a bad king. Most notably, what is normally seen is they don't tear down the high places. They don't tear down these foreign altars that are to these false gods. And it's a problem. It becomes a thorn and a snare to the people and oftentimes to the king and others. You see, we think it's not a big deal. 
I'm sure Solomon thought that wasn't a big deal. He's a wise man. He's walking with God. He's following after his statutes. He loves the Lord. But you see, he finds himself in a different situation real quick. As we read, there's a shift of passion. There's a shift of interest. And now he's working on building his fortress and building his empire. In 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse number 15, the Bible says, And this is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised for to build the house of the Lord and his own house and Milo and of the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer. And for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and slain the Canaanites that dwelt in the city and given it for a present unto his daughter Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer and Beth Horon, uh, the nether, and Baalath, and Tadmor, and the wilderness of the land, and all the cities of store that Solomon had, and the cities for chariots, and cities of horsemen, and that which Solomon desired to build, and in Lebanon, and in all of his dominion. And all the people that were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezzarites, uh, Hivites, and Jebusites, which were not of the children of Israel, these children were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel also were not able to utterly destroy. Upon those did Solomon levy a tribute of bond service unto this day. So we've got some shift of passion, shift of interest, where it was all about the temple earlier. Now we're focused on building a house, building these cities of treasure, building an empire, building towers and citadels and, and this fortress cities. You see how there's been a change of, of heart, a change of interest a little bit here? One of the things that they did in the days of the judges was have forced labor. You remember how the children of Israel, as they were in bondage in Egypt, and how they were crying out to God to be merciful for them because of their slavery and how that they were being treated in Egypt. And God delivered them from that. And now they're doing the exact same thing to the inhabitants of the land once they become strong again. And now they're making them their forced laborers, crying out to God. And now they're doing that to other people the same way. How did Solomon get into this sticky situation? There's another way that that we read about in the scriptures. And that was seeking after riches and wealth. Seeking after different things, things of this world. You ever find yourself spending most of your time seeking after things of this world? In 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse number 26, it says, And King Solomon made a navy of ships in Elizabeth, and beside Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent, the, sent in the navy his servants, shipmen that had knowledge of the sea with the servants of Solomon. And they came to Ophir and fetched from thence gold 420 talents and brought it to Solomon. I can't read that, but there it is. So navy of ships. So he's got his different uh, things that he's interested in now. The navy, the ships, his servants. He's interested in gold, you'll see in the next verse there that we have listed on the board. 1 Kings 10 and verse number 21. That the things that he are drinking out of, his, cope, his cup, he's drinking coke out of, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> he's drinking out of pure gold, out of gold. All these vessels that he has in this house in Lebanon, they're of pure gold. Now read some of the things that the Bible says here about accumulating wealth. And when you come to the, this is in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 17, excuse me. And when you come to the land of the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. 
One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart shall turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. You know that the amount of gold that was coming into Solomon's kingdom, we read in 1 Kings chapter 10, was 666 talents. 25 tons of gold were coming in. And that doesn't include another 15 tons that are coming from the governors and, and some other places in the kingdom. A tremendous amount of gold and wealth and riches that are around him. Crazy amount of gold that is coming. Matter of fact, the Bible says in the times of, of Solomon that silver was just is counted like a rock on the ground, just like a stone. It was worthless. It was useless. All the cups in his house, they weren't made of silver. That's useless. They're made out of gold. That's very wealthy and prominent. You see how he's seeking after these things, these different things now, and not after what God has commanded and said in the Scriptures? We read about this acquiring of, of many horses. In the next verse, in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse number 26, And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew, and the king's traders received them from Kew at a price. Where are they getting these horses? Right where God said not to. Don't return back to Egypt. Don't return there. Don't have anything to do with them there. And that's where he's returning back and acquiring all these horses. The Bible in 1 Kings chapter 4 talks about him having 40,000 stalls for these horses. Can you imagine that? 40,000 stalls for all these horses and different gold and, and horses and chariots and all these people, these servants. You see what he's accumulating? You see what he's doing? You see where his interest is going and focused to? God tells us to guard our hearts against wealth. Guard your hearts against these things. And why is that? Is it wrong to be rich? Is it wrong to have wealth and riches? Well, no, it's not. But God instructed specifically the kings not to acquire excessively because wealth can steal our hearts away from God. It's a thorn. It can be a thorn. It can be a snare in your way and in your side, he's saying. So that's why he's got this, this commandment given to the kings that Solomon's not following. He's not doing those things that God has called him to do. He begins seeking after wealth rather than God. He puts his trust in wealth rather than God in many, many ways. In the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17, it talks about to a rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides everything that you need. Don't put your hope in something that is uncertain, like riches and wealth and horses and things of this world, because it's uncertain. God's going to take care of your needs. He'll provide for you if what? If you'll walk in his judgment, in his uh, ways, if you'll follow after his statutes and his judgments like we read earlier, if you'll follow his commands, he'll be with you and provide for your needs. In Matthew chapter 13, verse number 22, you remember the, uh, the parable there of how the, 
The word of God falls on different hearts or on different grounds. It's described there. It says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries and pleasures of this life, the cares and riches and things of this life, what do they do? They grow up around the word of God and they choke it out. Our interest becomes shifted into different things. So that's why we're warned against those things. And Solomon finds himself in that patch and in that place. And finally, we want to look at a divided heart. He has divided interest and divided um, another thing that we just read about, that God said, don't intermarry with these uh, people of the land because they'll turn your heart away from me. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse number 1, it says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of his David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did his father David. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh and the abomination of Moab in the hill that is set before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed unto their gods. They will turn your heart away from me to their false gods. They've been given and issued a warning. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse number 4. Solomon's heart was turned away from holy, fully following after God. Just like God warned and God said, this is going to happen to you. But Solomon loved many foreign women. He claved to these in love, it says there. I want to just look at the total number here for a minute. <laughs> look at all these wives that he has. He said it's going to be a thorn and it's going to be a snare to you in your side. Solomon has surrounded himself with a thousand obstacles, with a thousand things that are hindering or could hinder his walk with God and do hinder his walk with God as we've just read. Look at all the things that are surrounding him, not counting the horses, not counting the riches, not counting the gold. He's surrounded. He's in a bad spot, isn't he? A place of failure, a place where it's going to be difficult to succeed. Difficult to excel, isn't it? Something I want to mention, too, this morning is just about this total number. That it shows us that our joy in life is, is not found in just, when I wish I had another spouse. He didn't find that, did he? I wish I had another, another spouse, or if I just had an affair, if I could just be with this person that I've got this close connection with instead. He didn't find this contentment and joy in wife number 697. <laughs> he wanted another one, didn't he? The contentment wasn't there. The joy's not found in, in these things. The joy is found in having your heart on the same page with God, wholly following after Him and not having it divided. Remember that lesson this morning. The problem is our heart. As we read in verses 5 through 8, we see that Solomon wants to please his wives. 
And we, we can understand that. I want my wife to be happy. I want things to be good at home. I want mama happy where everybody else will be happy. We all want that. We want to please our wives, but we can't put other things in front of our Lord, our God. He's first and foremost in our life. He built all these, these temples and these different things for these strange wives, these foreign wives he had. I'm sure he just wanted to make them happy. I'm sure that he had in his rationale in his mind, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to worship them or do those type of things, but you know, hey, that'll make them happy. Let's build an altar over here. She'll be happy. I'm sure that was his rationale as, as he went through his mind and the ways that he thinks. And I guess there's some debate. There's some, uh, it could be debated whether he went and, and worshipped and served these different gods. I don't know for sure if he did or not. I'll just be right up front and honest with you. I, like, I notice here that he says, likewise, he did for all of his strange wives. He did it for them. And he went not fully after the Lord, the God, Lord after the Lord is God as his father David did. So maybe he didn't, you know, totally turn away from him. I tend to think that he didn't. I think he was doing that for his wives. But again, it affected his heart. His heart wasn't totally following after God as God wanted it. We think he's going to make exceptions for us. We think he's going to make, uh, be okay with my compromises, things that I do, and everything's going to work out and be just fine. And it's not, is it? It's not. That's not the way it works at all. Think back to this thorny field. Think about the things that you put around you in your life that are obstacles, that are thorns, that are snares to you. You know, we've got a similar uh, warning that's given to us in the New Testament of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, just like that information that was given to us in the Old Testament that applies as well. But look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord." And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. He says, separate yourself. There's going to be boundaries. There's going to be limits that you're going to have to place in your life. Sometimes you're going to have to exclude yourself from different activities and maybe from different people. Sometimes we're called on to sever different things apart from us. Burn the bridges that are behind you. A lot of times we tell a new Christian, you know, sometimes you've got to leave that old life behind. You're now a new creature. And sometimes that requires cutting off people, cutting off different things, activities, and putting the Lord first and not my wants or maybe my desires first in certain ways. <clears throat> Cut it off and cast it from among you. Remember in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 30, kind of an alarming verse, I guess, where it talks about if your right hand offends and it's going to keep you out of the kingdom of heaven, cut it off. It's better to enter, into, enter this life or be in this life maimed than to not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it takes very drastic things in our life that we need to cut things off that are keeping us from following, fully following, wholly following the Word of God. 
We see some of those things this morning. We've talked about those things that Solomon has done that's kept him from wholly following God. What is it that's keeping you from fully following God? What are the thorns and snares that are around you? You find yourself in that field of thorns and you don't know which way to go. How did you get there? You've surrounded yourself. You've put yourself in that situation in many different ways. I'll just tell you a few ways that I do it <laughs> on a daily basis. I'm sure you can relate. You know, I spend a lot of time working overtime. I spend a lot of time working. Accumulation of wealth, maybe. Wondering and worrying about those things in this life. Trying to get to retirement as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, that's kind of where our focus is a lot of times. I surround myself with hobbies with different things i like working outside i like doing you know building different things we just recently bought some land that we're going to hunt on and i have spent hours shopping for junk to put on the land till we can hunt you know so excited so fired up about that and it's spending hours of time wasting time on different things time that it is wasted and it's not that you can't have hobbies you can't do anything else aside from god but you've got to put him first and foremost in your life. Most of you know that we used to raise some pigs. We're out of the pig business now. So I spent hours out there with pigs, <laughs> raising pigs, doing these different things. The things that surround me, taking me away from service of the Lord. And yet I keep accumulating those things and doing more and more stuff, getting more junk that takes me away from the service of the Lord. And I'm not telling you this story just for you to feel sorry for me, but I want you to, to, to think about, I'm going to tell you about my weekend, just for an example. And I know that you can relate with it because we all get busy. I get off work at 3 o'clock on, on Friday, and I go and get the brakes fixed on the truck. I was having some problems with the truck, so I go and get the brakes fixed. I'm there for about three or four hours, waiting and waiting for them to fix the truck. I get home, Man, i got to get the yard mowed. We're going to have some stuff at the house next week. i got to get this yard mowed. So I mow the yard, work till pitch dark where I can't see anymore. So take a shower, eat a little bit, look over the lesson for a few minutes, go to bed about 11.30, get up at 4 and go to work the next morning. Work till 2 o'clock, get home. We're good. We've got a party with the family at Cheryl's sister's house. We go there. The second I get home and we're there till 7.30, and then we go to the Forsman's party. And we spend, you know, several hours there till it's dark. And then I get home and take a shower and shave, get ready for the day, look over the lesson till about 11.30, get up at 6 and start looking at the lesson again. And here we are this morning. And the weekend's over. I get home today. I've got to cook hamburgers, getting ready for tomorrow. There's always something in it. You know, I need to go visit Richard. I need to go see Wilma. There ain't no time. I ain't got no time this weekend to go see him, do I? You see how I've surrounded myself with things that are less important for things that I need to be doing? I'm here in the thorn patch. I'm here in the stickers with nowhere to go. I want to talk to you this morning about making changes in your life. Make the necessary changes that you need to make to put God back in first and foremost position. Your first love, your first commitment, your first dedication. Him and His church. Make the necessary changes in your life today to be fully devoted and dedicated to Him. I need to make changes in my life. And the chances are you do too. There's things that we can do better, we can be better at to put the Lord first. 
Let's get ourselves out of this field of distraction and the field of thorns. Let's quit surrounding ourselves with things that are drawing us away from God. And quit making exceptions and compromises, thinking that's going to be okay. God wants to dwell in us. He said, I'll dwell in you. I'll be with you. Your body's a temple, and I want to be with you. But you know what? He's not going to walk with you through the sin and through the thorns. Not going to do it. God cannot enter into sin. And he's not going to be with you when you're trying to walk that direction. The Bible makes that clear. Make changes that you need to in your life today. If the church can do anything for you, please come forward as we stand and sing this morning.